Right. So, admin hat off. Gone. Done. It's a visible hat, you're right. Well observed. Um, awesome. Excuse me while I back it up again. Cool. So, um, I'd just like you to put up the first slide. So, um, because Andy Hockey did such a beautiful job <laughs> of designing these, and there's just no way that I can compete with that, I'm just committing to not competing with that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you just can't be in, just don't even try. Um, so today our scripture is from Mark, the first chapter of Mark. And Mark is a man who does not mince words. So kind of throughout today's sermon I'll be referring back to the same story that Mark tells, but Matthew's version of it, where a few more details are given, which is, I think, helpful. But I wouldn't know that because I'm quite a long-winded person. Um, great. Is he waving or drowning? Um, he's celebrating. Oh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The Jordan River was very choppy that day. All right. So, um, Nathan, I'll just look to you when it's time to change the slides. Okay, so this is the word of the Lord. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and a spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son, wait, you are my son, whom I love, and I am well pleased. At once, the spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Cool. So we'll just jump back to that first slide. That's cool. So you'll see with my little subheadings here, but I kind of think there are three things that are going on, three chapters, if you will, um, within this one pretty succinct story. So down in the cool waters of the Jordan, with his feet on the mud and in the rocks, Jesus is hauled back in the water by John, who we actually can't see in this picture because maybe he's quite short or behind one of those waves. <laughs> um, and the Spirit bursts down, descending upon Jesus, empowering him and directing him. And a voice comes from heaven, a public announcement that Jesus is the Son of God, and that God approves of him and is pleased with him. The tense of pleased is timeless. It is not simply that at this moment God is pleased with Jesus. Um, he's eternally pleased with his Son. Jesus did not begin to be loved at the moment of his baptism, nor did he cease to be loved after his baptism became a memory. Baptism simply named the reality of his existing and unending belovedness. So just before this reading in John, we get a bit of backstory about who John is, this kind of wild guy that's doing ministry in the wilderness. And um, we read that he's out in the desert and he's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John was getting people ready for the Messiah. 
He said, after me will come one more powerful than I. I baptise you with water, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. So John is inviting people to come and be baptised as a way of readying themselves for the Messiah. But he knows that there's one coming after him who will offer a bigger, fuller baptism. And so the people are flocking out to John. They're confessing their sins and being baptised in the Jordan. In Matthew's Gospel, the story of Jesus' baptism is told and some attention is given to this kind of interaction between Jesus and John. So when Jesus comes out to be baptised, John sees that he's the Messiah and is feeling super uncomfortable about baptising him. John says to Jesus, I was baptising people to get them ready for you. You should be baptising me. Jesus replies, No, just do it. God's work, putting things right, all these centuries, is coming together right now in this baptism. And so John baptises Jesus. Jesus entered into the water to show his willingness to humble himself before God, to show that in him, baptism would become much more. Last week, when Scotty spoke about Eucharist, um, one of the things, one of the aspects of that crazy shape, um, come on, it's been gone, um, was incarnation. The fact that Jesus came in a person. He came with fleshiness, with humanness, with personhood. Um, he came to experience all that we would experience. He came to reckon with sin and death, which are things that we face, and he came to defeat them. So we can see that Jesus' act of getting down in the water is an act of humility before God. The first act of many acts where he puts himself down into the mud and brokenness of humanity. His baptism shows what kind of ministry he's about to have. It's an act of humility where God commissions Jesus. He affirms who he is and what he's about to do. But there's something else. Later in Mark's Gospel, in chapter 10, Jesus uses his baptism as a metaphor for the death that he knows he's going to. So we can see that as he submits to John's bath of repentance, ooh, let's just check that there's no right order. Jesus shows the radical way that he's going to confront sin that enslaves humanity. Jesus went down into the water and then he rose back out of it. And he knew that he was heading for death and resurrection. Jesus' baptism message was repent and be clean. Sorry, John's baptism message was repent and be clean. But Jesus, when he was baptised, he was shown a way for a new baptism. It was a more full message. For him, it was be killed and rise. Jesus chooses in his humanity to die to his own desires, to follow the way that God had for him, to live the life of the Messiah. In the River Jordan, Jesus' identity is affirmed by God and he's empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out that true identity as the Son of God. In the moment of his baptism, we can see that he looks ahead to the cross, to the death and resurrection, where he would make a way for all people to be sons and daughters of God, to be children of God. So we'll go to the next slide. So soon after he comes out of the water, we read that Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Mark's Gospel keeps it really brief that Jesus was tested, there were wild animals, he was fasting, that Satan was there, um, but that also he wasn't alone because there were angels and the Spirit. It's like, 
And then he just leaves it at that. Crazy. And again, in Matthew's Gospel, we get a little bit more detail. Satan, the tempter, the liar, comes to tempt Jesus. For those of you who have spent time reading the seasonal guide this week, you will have read about how Henry Nguyen um, considers that there's kind of three different um, temptations or false identities that Satan tempts Jesus with. He kind of tries to pervert the truth um, and get his way. So those three things um, that Satan comes to tempt Jesus with are temptation to be defined by his reputation, temptation to be defined by what he does, and temptation to be defined by what he has. In Matthew 4 verse 3 we read that Satan approaches Jesus and says, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Here Jesus is tempted to disbelieve his identity. Are you really the Son of God? And likewise, he is provoked that if he really was God's Son, surely he could use that identity for his own benefit. He's tempted to buy into Satan's taunt. Jesus overcomes this temptation by pointing back to his dependence on God, by remembering his identity. I want to take a little break from the scripture and tell you a story that um, I heard a couple of weeks ago. So I have a friend who is a primary school teacher, and she has been teaching at this primary school for like four or five years. And um, when I heard this story, I was like, man, there is a sermon illustration there. Um, <laughs> Um, so, you guys might be able to relate to this on a bunch of different levels. So, a few years ago, um, this kid started at primary school, and it didn't take long before kind of the whole school knew his name. Teachers um, kind of knew him as the naughty, disruptive one. Other students knew him as the naughty, disruptive one. And um, I guess every interaction he would have had with teachers, more or less, were them having to try and get him back into life. And my friend was like, man, he's probably getting a really negative impression of teachers from this. I really want to make an effort to be kind to him and to just say hi and to actually kind of build some positive connections. So over the past couple of years, whenever she'd see him in the playground, she'd go up and say, hey, how's it going? What are you getting up to? And, and like, just have some friendly chit chat with this little boy. And um, lo and behold, this year, he's in her class. And so she was telling me a few of like the grievances she's had with him, where it's been like, quite difficult to have this kid in her class. Um, and she was saying about how um, a couple of days a week he has some time out of the class where he has like one-on-one -on -one time with like a relief um, teacher. Um, and then she was saying about how um, one afternoon he'd come back into class after his time alone with his relief teacher, and um, he was collecting his things at the back or something. And she said to the class, um, guys, I know we had assembly today, but there was somebody that was missing. And um, there were 150 people at assembly. And so when they clashed, you know, they made a fair amount of noise, but there's only 25 of you here, so you're going to have to make a lot of noise for this person. And um, she says to this kid, who we'll just call John for the purpose of the story, um, she's like, this certificate is um, for John, for making a good start to the year. And this kid looks up and is like so shocked that he's getting a certificate. And the other kids are like also shocked that he's getting a certificate, but like getting into it because it's a chance to make a lot of noise at 2.50 on a 
on a Tuesday. And um, apparently on his way up to get his certificate, he's like telling people, he's like, I'm, I'm getting the certificate. That's me getting the certificate. And um, he gets up the front and she's like, well done. Um, thanks for being part of this class. Gives him the certificate. And he like fist pumps. He's like, that's my certificate. Like so chuffed. And I just love that, hey? Oh man, it gets me going. Um, <laughs> Like that naughty kid at school, it's not like all the annoying things he's, he's done weren't true. Um, but there was something more true about him that my friend wanted to affirm. I was talking to her about this yesterday and she said she wanted to affirm his identity as a child. He isn't just his behaviour. He, even in all his difficulties and annoying traits, is worth celebrating. So with us, it's still true that we're naughty kids. But what's more true is that we are God's beloved, that we are his kids, and that God celebrates us. So like the handing out of that little certificate in that classroom, in baptism, we are affirmed, you probably go to the next slide, like for illustration, if you will. Um, our identity is affirmed and proclaimed in front of other people. We see in Jesus' baptism an affirmation of who he is in front of others. He is the Son of God with whom God is pleased. And so too with us, when we are baptised, we stand in front of other people and we say, this is the identity that is most true about me. This is the most fundamental truth of my existence. Our descent into the water represents a surrender, a death of the old way of living, and coming out the other side represents resurrection, a starting over. The old self is drowned, for you have died and your life is hid with Christ. Colossians 3.3 I was reading this week about, um, about baptism, and apparently Martin Luther is said to have um, said about baptism that the old self, with all its sin, has been drowned, but it's a mighty good swimmer. And I think a lot of us wish that the stuff that grieves us about ourselves could just be washed off in water, dealt with once and for all, that the slate of our memories and our bad habits and the things we believe about ourselves could just be washed clean. And I do think that something powerful happens in baptism. But the lesson of our lives is to see baptism as the entrance into the new life in Christ. Baptism is an invitation to publicly show that you are humbling yourself before God, taking on that identity of the beloved, affirming it to be true. It is not something we earn or we achieve once we have it all together. Like the kid getting the certificate when he was still naughty, nowhere near perfect, it is a moment where we publicly acknowledge in front of people our value in the sight of God and our freedom won by Christ. But it doesn't mean we aren't still going to be noisy and disruptive in class and make mistakes. Rachel Haldeven says, we all long for someone to tell us who we are. The great struggle of the Christian life is to take God's name for us. To believe we are beloved and to believe that is enough. It is so easy to let other things say who you are. Your age, your ethnicity, your job, how much you get paid, how much fun you're having. How kind you are to others, how many likes you get on Facebook. 
The invitation that Jesus extends to us is repent and believe for the kingdom is near. He says, come and die to your old self and be born again. Come and live. The kingdom identity Jesus demonstrates in his baptism and then ultimately wins for us through his death and rising is the gift that we are the beloved of God. This good gift, when we really take it to heart, gives us life and brings life to the world. This gift, taken deep within us, will bring about kingdom transformation around us. In 1 John we read, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Our identity is the beloved of God, and as John notes, this identity, when we let it sink in, when we use it as a rebuttal against the powers and principalities, which would say we are anything less, it transforms us. It enables us to love others. It allows God to live in us and to make his love complete in us. It is transformative. It will affect how we see ourselves and how we see others. This week when I was reflecting on the seasonal guide, um, I realized that the temptation that I kind of gravitate to that I find um, most easy to put a lot of stock in is um, I am what I do. So I come from a family of doers, um, people who are busy and productive and a little bit restless. And for that reason, I probably place a lot of emphasis on what I do. And without meaning to, I can judge others for their capacity uh, to do things. Because my metric for my own value can get caught up in what I do, I use the same thing on other people, and it inhibits me from both seeing my own identity and their identity as the beloved of God. Romans 6 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If you want to read some intense stuff about baptism, um, look up this guy, William Willimon. He says, John's baptism was the water that washes. Christ's baptism is the water that drowns. Discipleship is more than turning over a new leaf. This process of following Jesus, of walking into this identity, is more than turning over a new leaf or making a New Year's resolution. Nothing less than daily, often painful, lifelong death will do. <laughs> Taking up the gift of our identity means continually letting go of the old one, letting that drop away, continually taking a stand against the schemes of evil, against the smart-ass sayings of powers and principalities, which seek to undermine God's truth over us and over those around us. So whether you've been baptised and you want to remember the power of what that meant, or whether you haven't, and you want to think about doing that with a public declaration in the future, let's take a moment to let all this sink in. 
Let it sink in that your identity is the beloved of God. Let it sink in that as Christ died and rose again for love's sake, to win for you full access to closeness with God. Let it sink in that taking up that identity means death to all the little identities that you've built for yourself or that have been put on you. We can each of us stand on truth as we do in baptism. That though there is evil and death in the world, that these things do not get the final say. They don't get the final say over us or over this world and its inhabitants. We are also God's beloved. I am the beloved child of God and I renounce anything or anyone who says otherwise. I'd love for you all just to take a moment to call to mind anything that you want to renounce before God. Anything that stands in the way of the identity won for you by Christ. Christ. 